podcast is a proud member of the That Moment In Podcast Network. Check out the network at thatmomentin.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this a very special episode of Cinema Recall Podcast. I am your host, The Vern, and this is a very special episode of Cinema Recall because we have with us pretty much the whole That Moment In Podcast Network here, and I'm very excited to have with us uh, Kim Lowe from Game Warp Podcast. Hello, Kim. Hello. Uh, we have uh, Daniel Lackey from TV Good Sleep Bad. Oh yeah, hi. <laughs> we have with us uh, Stephen Palmer from the Asian Cinema Film Club. Hello. 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 And of course, the host of all those other three shows as well, <laughs> Mr. Elwood Jones. Hello. Yes. Uh, thank you all for being on this episode with us. Hey everyone, The Vern here. Just a really quick disclaimer. All the shows that were just mentioned here uh, are no longer part of That Moment In. They were originally part of our podcast network, but we were having problems with our host and site, and so a lot of shows had to be removed. But I highly recommend checking them out. They're all still there. They're just no longer part of ThatMomentIn.com. Um, I do want to recommend Elwood Jones and Kim Lowe's episodes of Movies and Tea Podcasts, but yeah, I just want to put that quick little disclaimer. Uh, still enjoy the rest of the episode. Still a good one. <laughs> Very excited. We're actually going to be talking about first moments in movies. Alright? Uh, we're going to do a show like this every couple months where we talk about favorite moments in movies. Maybe we'll even do, like, worst moments in movies. But since it's the first episode of this, I really want to get into, like, our first moments in movies, alright? Like, the first time we laughed at a movie or we cried. But I'm only going to do three categories here because we have, like, a lot of guests here. And we're going to be covering three. We're going to be talking about uh, saddest moments in movies, uh, sexiest moments in movies, and we're going to start off the show by talking about our scariest moments in movies. And the first time we really got scared during a movie, alright? So, I don't know where we're going to go with this right now, but I'm going to pick a random. And uh, why not? Let's go with you, Elwood. What was the first okay. time you ever got scared during a movie? Um, the first notable time I got, I got like, truly terrified. Because um, obviously I've been scared watching other things like, obviously, like, Psycho and um, various other sort of horror movies when I was coming up. But the true, first time I was like, like truly terrified would be watching uh, James Cameron's Aliens. And I can actually pinpoint like the exact moment because I'd never seen Aliens, so I'm going into this film completely blind. And when we got the Ripley dream sequence where she thinks she's going to have the chest burst to come out of her stomach. And um, it's like so much more, you see it go like so much further than any other chest burst sequence in the whole franchise. But that absolutely like terrified the hell out of me because I had no context of what the hell's going on. It's just like, She's in a hospital bed, and then suddenly these things coming out of her stomach. Um, and I think I watched it up to the bit where Newt's brother has the chest burst to come out of him, and I was just like, "No, I'm done." <laughs> um, and um, I didn't actually return to it like years later. Um, but yeah, that was uh, I would say that was the moment that like really still sort of stands out as like the first moment I was like terrified. Um, I mean, there's other things that have always terrified me since. I mean, like because of Jaws, I no long I don't like swimming in the ocean. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I mean, for some reason, that's still stuck with me. I'm, I will swim in the ocean, but I'm not keen on it. So. Yeah. I don't 
I I'm in a pool and I still get freaked out. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The pool does it for me, and the deep end when it's like you can't really see the bottom. I yeah. think about Jaws, and I'm like. <laughs> and I I can't ride on rafts anymore. I don't know why it is, but I just cannot go on those rafts. All right, especially if I'm at a beach at a lake. No. <laughs> creep show. You must have been scared by Creep Show too. I have not seen Creep Show two yet. Huh. I I, I see the first one. The, um, well, the this is a. This is a sort of um, anticipation of being scared by Creepshow 2. <laughs> okay. I, I, I've, I've seen, like, gifts from Creepshow 2, but I've never actually watched it. So uh, I own the first one, and the second one is something that I will definitely check out there. Um, but, no, that is a, definitely a great choice there with aliens and the chess person. Because I'm the same with you, too, Elwood. I have not seen Alien at that time. My first movie I saw was Aliens. So yeah, that was definitely a really freaky as hell moment in there. Um, I think a time, I think the most freakiest moment is when they're kind of stuck with that face hugger and they're locked in by Mad About You's Paul Rudd. (laughs) So yeah, that was freaky as hell. Um, I think, well, there's something very key about comedians playing really good psychopaths. Yeah. Um, Just look at Robin Williams. Robin Williams does really good crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, when our photo? Oh, yeah. Definitely, man. Um, all right. Good choice, sir. Uh, let's go with you, uh, Lackey. What would you say is your first time you've been scared at a movie? Uh, the first time I really remember being scared by a film was um, Poltergeist, uh, the original. Um, and it's usually – it's not one of the scenes that people usually uh, cite when 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 they talk about poltergeist they usually talk about the clown or they talk about the tree and for me the the scene that absolutely terrified me was the scene where um one of the uh one of the like junior ghostbusters um <laughs> i think his name was marty uh goes into uh goes into the bathroom and uh peels his own face off oh yeah mm, yeah and um that that really got me, and I remember that scared me to the point where I could not sleep at all that night. I think it's funny that you have to say the original Poltergeist. It's always just Poltergeist. There is well, no. It, it's there. There's a remake out there. Is there is not. There is. Trust no, me, no. I've seen it. I've wasted money on no. it. No. And um, I don't want anybody out there thinking that I was um, I was scared by uh, whoever the guy was who played the Craig T. Nelson. Uh, character saying, well, who keeps a box of clowns? But, yeah. Um, actually, who keeps a bo- box of clowns is a running joke with the friend I saw the Poltergeist remake with, so, uh, you know, we have to accept that there was a remake. Um, it wasn't very good, but it had a box of clowns in it. What is it um, about the Poltergeist movies that in each one there was, like, that one surreal scare, like, I totally agree you, like, that was absolutely terrifying because it comes out of nowhere, the guy pulling his face off, and it's so sudden. And then the second one, you've got the weird monster in the bottom of the bottle of beer, which I still get freaked out that that's going to happen to me one of these days. And then you've got the weird, uh, you've got the girl coming out of the pool of slime in the third one. There seemed to be, like, this one really surreal scare in each of the three films, and I never understood why they always seemed to, like, have this running theme. I, I, I never actually saw the uh, sequel, so... Oh, two's good. I, yeah, um, it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, I got everything I needed to get out of the uh, Poltergeist, the first one. Okay. Uh, so, you know, I'm uh, I'm going to leave it there. I had the same I had the same attitude towards The Matrix and uh, 
parts yeah. of the Caribbean. So, so I, like, I, yeah, I think I, everything I need to get out of that, I think yeah. I, I am kind of curious, Lackey, like, after you saw that moment uh, with the guy ripping his face off, uh, how long did it take before you were able to actually watch the movie again? I, um, God, I think the next time I actually... I don't think I actually wa- sat down and watched the, the movie all the way through again until... Oh, probably about five, maybe six years ago. Okay. Um, there was a uh, they ran it at a twenty-four hour uh, Halloween and horror movie marathon, and that was literally the first time I'd seen that scene. Um, and I saw it in a theater. Um, the, I saw the, the when I saw it when I was like eight. I saw it, uh, you know, on VHS. But you know, at this point, it was on a a theater. It was an old film print. Okay. And uh, I remember. Um, I'm just sitting in this old movie theater in Chicago, and my 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 as I feel this scene coming, you know, closer and closer, I just feel how you know my 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 nails tighten up on the armrests. Okay. You know, but yeah. no, it, it really took me. Uh, this was about eighty, I think, it came out in eighty two, and I think I rewatched this. I think this was uh, like I said, probably about five six years ago. So it took me about thirty years to be able to watch it all the way through again. Okay. Fair enough, man. I've, there are movies like that that take me a long time to actually watch again, so I totally get it. Um, good choice there, Poltergeist, guy ripping his face off. I love it. Not the fact that you were scared for a long time, Lackey. I don't love that, but that was still a great scene to talk about. Um, let's go to you, Kim. What was, the, what was the movie that scared you when you were a kid? Like, the moment that scared you in movies? Um, mine is gonna be not such classical choices. <laughs> uh, mine is actually Scream. Just because when I watched Scream, I actually, like, I grew up in a really protected family, so they never let me watch a lot of horror films. So I watched this at, like, summer camp when, like, some of these guys, like, these high school guys were like, oh, let's watch this film. And then the opening scene was um, with Drew Drew Barrymore. And um, when the guy, when she has the wrong answer, and then the guy gets like his stomach slit open, and then his intestines fall out, I was like, "Ugh, so disgusting," you know. Yeah. And then I tried to hide it because you know it's all these dudes, you know, that um, were there, and I was trying to be like, "Oh, you can see, I was like, this... oh, Kim, you're not scared," and I'm like, "It's just blood. Everybody has blood." Yeah, you try to play it off. You try to play it off. Shaking under the table, and I'm like, "Oh, that was so disgusting. It's so scary." <laughs> No, that that is a good moment right there too because the way it kind of builds up tension, suspense there, right when uh, Drew Barrymore is on the phone and she just says, "Hello." Why don't you want to talk to me? Who is this? You tell me your name, I'll tell you mine. <laughs> I don't think so. What's that noise? Popcorn. You making popcorn? Uh huh. I only eat popcorn at the movies. Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? Oh, just some scary movie. You like scary movies? Uh Uh-huh. What's your favorite scary movie? Uh, I don't know. You have to have a favorite. What comes to mind? Um, Halloween. You know, the one with the guy in the white mask who walks around and stalks babysitters? Yeah. What's yours? Guess. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street. 
Is that the one where the guy had knives for fingers? Yeah, Freddy Krueger. Freddy, that's right. I like that movie. It was scary. Well, well the first one was, but the rest sucked. So, you got a boyfriend? <laughs> Why? You want to ask me out on a date? Maybe. Do you have a boyfriend? Mm, no. You never told me your name. Why do you want to know my name? I want to know who I'm looking at. What did you say? I want to know who I'm talking to. That's not what you said. What do you think I said? What? Hello? Look, I gotta go. Wait, I thought we were gonna go out. Uh, nah, I don't think so. Don't hang up on me. Yes? I told you not to hang up on me. What do you want? To talk. Well, dial someone else, okay? Listen, asshole! No, you listen, you little bitch. If you hang up on me again, I'll gut you like a fish, understand? <laughs> yeah. Is this some kind of joke? More of a... I think that's the best thing Wes Craven ever did, the first ten minutes of Scream. Yeah. I think I think the rest of the film is and the series, you know, descends into parody and self awareness. But that ten minutes I remember seeing that in the cinema and I was um crapping my pants. <laughs> I guess it was it was just, you know, someone on top of the game, the genius was, you know, they killed off the headline star. And I just thought it was brilliant. Yeah, no, Scream, definitely a classic opening, definitely one of the most classic openings of any horror movies i would compare the opening of scream to like the opening of jaws all right very iconic moment set you in that tone space right away um i love it um so like after like summer camp did you not watch any other horror films or did you wait for a little bit or uh summer camp was like let me think how old i was i i don't I don't. I think the next movie after that that I saw was probably the Ring remake. Okay. And I watched that in the cinema. And um, let's just say the friend who went with me lost the feeling in his arm because I was grabbing it so hard without knowing. Oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> so, so yeah, no, that was the next time. Um, I don't remember how many years after. Yeah, it was a while after. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. <laughs> All right. Uh, definitely good choice there with, with Scream. Um, yeah, I do have nothing to say about that. We all pretty much like that. Uh, let's go to you, Stephen. Um, what was the first time you got scared out of flick? Well, actually, what I was going to say was the face being ripped apart in Poltergeist, which you may have heard my jaw drop to the floor when Lackey brought it up. <laughs> Luckily... <laughs> That was just old face And that's why I was very quiet when he was saying that. I thought, oh, bloody hell, typical. But <laughs> it's all right. I have a second option. I was a real scaredy cat as a child, right? So even though now I love horror movies and I've watched loads of really grim stuff, but at the, when I was younger, I was terrified of anything vaguely scary, right? You talk about being scared of um, swimming pools and things like that. I was too scared to go to the toilet 
when my parents had watched Jaws downstairs just for hearing it. <laughs> you know, I was terrible. I, I remember seeing Halloween three and being terrified of just snakes writhing around. Oh, and yeah. actually, the, yeah, the very first time I was actually can remember being like terrified of what I saw was in the cinema in 1982. My dad took me to see Star Trek two, the wrath of Khan. And, he's, and when Khan puts those things into Chekhov and the other guy's ears, those oh. little, yeah, I mean, it's, it's an out of, there's nothing else like it in the entire series. I'm, I reckon I was eight or nine years old at the time. I don't know how he'd take me to see this film. And, and, and out of nowhere, they put this little insect thing into their ears and the screams and the things like that. And that was the first time I can remember being absolutely terrified in the cinema. Although it's a moment completely out of context with the rest of the series. I think it is just that noise they made that made it scary. And I rewatched it recently because uh, a few of my friends have it and we watched that. And that part still just makes me cringe and makes me feel uneasy. And you're right, in, in, in an otherwise really great action space movie, oh, the screams are not something like that, the sneeze right there, but they're pretty close still. So. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I... I think that's a great choice there. It's totally off the cuffs right there, which I love. Um, mine, and I've got to tell you folks a little story here. Uh, so it happened in, I think it was like the summer of 84. And my mom decided to take me out to a little movie known as Ghostbusters. And I had no clue what Ghostbusters was about. I had no idea who Bill Murray Hill Ramis, Rick Moranis, these people that would become my childhood heroes later on. Had no idea. I sat down at the theater and the Ghostbusters go to the library and they find that library ghost. They go up to them, they walk up and they go, get her! And the ghost turns around, the big demon face. When that happened, I shrieked and I just started to run out to the lob area. My mom had to come grab my arm and had to like drag me back in. I was like, Mom, no, I'm not going back in there. Not going back in there. You, I, you did not tell me that there could be some giant scary ghost lady here. And she kept trying to calm me down saying that, No, no, don't worry, don't worry, Jason. It's a, it's a comedy, all right? It's going to be a loud laughter. I'm like, no, big giant scary ghost skeleton face in my face face. No. And she actually literally had to, like, drag me to the seat. I'm pretty sure I suffered some scars on my arm from my mom digging her nails into my arm to get me back to my seat. But she promised me some candy. She says everything's going to be okay. And I laughed a lot of the times afterwards. And I like the Slimer Ghost. The dogs coming out, that was a little bit freaky. But... Yeah, that was for me probably the first time I really got scared and had to, like, run out of the theater. So, yeah, Ghostbusters, the library and Ghost right there, that definitely freaked me out. That's the first time I ever got scared. Uh, there's been other times, um, Jaws, definitely one of them. That's even nowadays, too, if I see the movie playing on TV, I've got hesitant if I want to click on the actual title on, on my remote control, but... That's mine. Ghostbusters. 
I used to be obsessed with Ghostbusters. It's the first film I can remember being absolutely obsessed with. I I bought the novelization of it. I uh, the first seven inch single I bought was the Ray Parker Jr. theme tune. I must have watched that film a million times. And you're so right, that first scene. <laughs> There's nothing in the film like it, as far yeah, as I'm really? concerned. It's truly scary when you was... see it cold. When you see it at like ten years old, yeah, it's like Jesus, what's that? The rest of the film is just laugh city arizona really i would say um, the rick moranis possession sequence um it's pretty scary it's being chased by the demon dogs yeah there's nothing um no nothing. and the nothing hands coming out moranis the hands coming scary. out of the couch that was also pretty pretty horrible i i i had for the longest time this running argument with somebody um actually a, a, a friend of mine uh, because he would always talk about how he considered Ghostbusters to be a horror film. And I'm like, no, you're on crack. It's it, it's not a horror movie. It's a comedy. There's nothing in this film that's even remotely scary. Um, and I saw I saw it, at, at, you know, when it was released in theaters. I think it was 1984. Mm-hmm. You know, I was 10 years old. I don't remember being – it's possible that I was traumatized by it, and I – um. You know, erase that memory. Um, but no, I never, I never really saw why. I mean, even rewatching it, you know, it was um, that one, the one scene that you're. And I'm not saying that you're wrong for having been scared. I mean, what's so, scared? It's, it's right, Lackey. You're probably desensitized from seeing Ghostbusters and people's face ripped off. That a little scare like that didn't do anything to you. I get it. <laughs> no, yeah. Well, you know, if you live, you know, if you live like had my like my childhood, where you know I was being tortured by ghosts and demons and aliens and little claymation monsters on a regular basis. Oh, yeah, by the time you get to 10, you're like, yeah, it's a big, it's a scary ghost librarian. Eh. Yeah, I get, I get scarier things in my breakfast cereal. You had the you had the Ouija breakfast cereal, didn't you? I did, yeah. Actually, you got a Ouija board on the back of every box. That's the um, yeah. you know, it came with a different planchette, you know, like wrapped up like a Cracker Jack prize. <laughs> I want to know what scared Zoe Rose Smith, our yeah. friend uh, Zobo with shotgun. I don't because... think anything <laughs> has ever scared that girl. Ever. I think if anyone's <laughs> afraid of no ghost, I would say it's Zoe. Yeah, ghosts are afraid of her. <laughs> she be my favorite Ghostbuster. All right, um, all right. So let's go back to you. Elwood, and let's talk about, yeah, we're going to discuss what, I'm going to change moves here right now, we're talking about stuff that made us scared, and now we're going to talk about the moments in movies that made us cry, alright, the really moments, first time we watched a flick that we cried at, there's been a lot of great movies that brought out those tear ducts in us, so I'll start with you, Elwood, what was the first time a movie made you cry? Okay. I mean, I was born in 83, so a lot of the 80s childhood movies were... They didn't... When we talk about Family Fair from the 80s, a lot of it's very traumatic. So, uh, compared to what they class as Family Fair now, it's just like, you know, the snooty cat and the slovenly dog with celebrity voices and stuff. But, yeah, um, but the scene that made me cry and one that I think I still can't go back and watch now is the death of the horse in Neverending Story. Um, the, the big fluffy dog? No, no, the the horse. He drowns in the um the swamp of uh sadness. Oh, okay. All right. It's been a long time. Uh, 
So that's all. Yeah, basically, um, he has to cross through the swamp of sadness, and if you if you get bummed out and depressed, then you sink into the swamp. So you've got to think happy thoughts, and the horse apparently gets depressed. And come on, Ortex. Come on, boy. What's the matter? I understand. It's too difficult for you. so depressing because the, the you see this horse being dragged down into the mud and then it sort of like cuts and it's not like in Bambi where Bambi's mum dies and it's just like oh happy music and stuff you know and like the cinematic version of your parents shaking their keys at you to distract you no you're just stand, left with Atreyu looking at this puddle where his horse was um, and just looking so bummed out and it just like it's still it upset me then, and it's the reason I still can't watch Never Ending Story now. It's just really sad to see Not uh, that it's horse fight it. Jeez. It's one of the worst films of all time. I can't believe that's your... <laughs> that's my I, saddest I, moment. I, I, if you I've want, never, if you want a deep cut, I can give you one. But... <laughs> I've, I've never actually seen the Never Ending Story, so I, I find that it's amusing that there's a, a movie out there with a depressed horse. Is it named Marvin? That's what I want to know. <laughs> no. um, I think yeah, I'm feeling like very depressed. Oh, that, I mean, I'm not uh, going to like kill anyone else's selections, but if we, when we, when everyone's given their selections, I mean, I can name several others from the '80s that were really brutal that your parents like put on for you, going, "Oh, you know, this would be fun." You know, Jim Henson made this. <laughs> Jim Henson made it. It's called the Dark Crystal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a fight. It's a fun fantasy foot for everybody. Uh, no, I, the only thing I really remember from the Never Ending Story is that song, Never Ending Story. The ball, the from Catch a Goo Goo. Yeah, that's that's I I I remember okay. that song, but I don't actually remember anything else about the movie. I should watch that again now to see if it actually well, is as depressing as Elwood says. Okay. Well, the book and the actual pendant for the Never Ending Story. There was only one ever made. And it's currently in the possession of Steven Spielberg, and it's in his office behind bulletproof glass. So, but uh, the book's really good if you ever read it. It's in, you have like different coloured um, text for like the real world and the fantasy world, and it's a really colourful world. It's just a shame that we have this crappy moment where the horse bites it. So. Okay. And um, unfortunately, in the production, the horse actually did die because 
it got caught up in the machinery Jeez. and uh, drowned. So, yeah, double bummer there, really. Damn, man. You play yeah, darkness. never watching that. Play darkness on top of darkness there, right? Like a darkness That's sad it. overload. I don't think that's, we can top that. I don't think that, we can top the dead hole, so let's move on. <laughs> yeah, that's the sort of story that generally gets reserved for when you're talking about like cannibal holocaust. I know, right? All right, let's go let's move to you, Lackey. Uh, what was the first time a movie made you cry? I, I, you know, I don't, I'm not 100% sure I ever, like, cried at a movie when I was a kid. The first movie I can remember crying at was Fantasia 2000. Um... I and I would have been like 26, 27 at the time, um, and I went to see it uh, opening weekend because the original Fantasia is one of my favorite films, mm. and I went to see it opening weekend. I went to see it opening weekend in IMAX. Oh, nice! Yeah. And the closing, the last, the last segment, the one that's based on I think the the Stravinsky's Firebird Suite with uh, with uh, the the the. the forest elemental and and or the dryad or whatever she's supposed to be and the the stag and it was just it was so beautiful it literally moved me to tears oh okay um that i that is the first time uh that is like the first time i can recall crying at a film like a lot of now elwood was talking about you know seeing there are a lot of traumatic moments and like the the um like the the canonical uh, adventure family oriented adventure films of like the eighties, like you know, Never Ending Story, Dark Crystal Labyrinth, all that. I didn't see. I don't understand why, but I didn't see most of those until I entered my late twenties, early thirties. Okay. Like when I was when I was a kid, I was more interested in watching movies like Blade Runner and Buckaroo Banzai. So um, I didn't see like Goonies until I was thirty. Gotcha. Um, so that's why I, I never cried at, at things like Legend or um, there would have been probably some stuff I probably in Dark Crystal I finally saw Dark Crystal when I was like 28 and um, that there are, there are stuff that probably would have reduced me to a, a weeping pile of weeping oh. if I'd seen it when I was like 8 but and I like the fact too I totally love the fact that you watched this movie on the big IMAX screen and just the beauty of the animation brought you to tears. That's actually oh, yeah. Really it was cool. just it yeah. was just an over, uh, and, and that was the, the the great thing about it is that you know you've got this gigantic screen and you've just got this gigantic immersive sound mix and it's so overwhelming and it was just like I, I was just completely just like oh my god I can't handle this this is so beautiful I have no language yeah basically you know. Um, Isn't that what so we that like counts. search for, though? Constantly, as as movie bloggers, we constantly search for these moments in film. I mean, for myself, I can understand what you're saying because I got it. I got there. I've only experienced it twice. Uh, one seeing the first trailer for Mad Max Fury Road uh, uh-huh. from the Comic Con, and the second being the opening of Antichrist. Um, yeah, I've the perfect combination of music and and cinematography uh, just creates this incredible experience that you like constantly search for as a film watcher and you yeah. and when you hear this you it's almost like a Stendhal syndrome feeling that washes over you and it's just abs- it's like the greatest thing I, I yeah. got the same feeling when I watched Tree of Life in theaters I was just really just that Emmanuel Emmanuel Lubinsky I can't pronounce that dude's name Emmanuel hmm. Lubinsky Lubinsky the cinematographer for Tree of Life uh-huh. and Gravity and Birdman 
Yeah. Uh, but when I watched Tree of Life in theaters, I just I did have tears well up in my face. Different story when I watched it again at home. I didn't have that quite that feeling there, but when I watched that in theaters, yeah, it was really good. Um, so yeah, that I love that pick. Um, to, to, to go back very briefly to to Antichrist for a moment, um, I I had the same feeling with Antichrist that I had the same feeling with Melancholia at several points of Melancholia. Not I don't think that I was necessarily driven to tears, but I was just sort of awestruck into complete silence and just gobsmacked. Uh, Von Trier's very good at that. It's uh, really kind of a shame he's such a jerk. <laughs> yeah, I, I, Dance in the Dark, I, gosh, I probably had tears streaming down my face through, like, half that movie right there. In fact, I couldn't even see most of the movie because tears were just in my face because I saw that in theaters, and I had to, like... We watched it again so I can actually understand what's going on because tears were just in my face the whole time. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. going here. Uh, all right, let's move to you, Kim. Get sad on us. Get, get morose. Get, get like Morrissey. All right, what's this? Honestly, this was the hardest category for... Well, the next one is hard because I couldn't figure it out, but sad was hard mostly because I'm a mega crybaby. Like, I cry over a lot of stuff. I'm just, I don't know, emotional that way. I don't know. Um, but... I have a feeling that My Girl was my thing, but I couldn't remember the scene, and I don't really want to go watch it again. So I'm going to go with the Surefire one, which um, was in uh, Fox and the Hound. Um, oh. When, yeah, when uh, Widow Tweed, like, leaves, um, you know, like, Todd in the forest, I was like, okay, I have this, like, huge, I'm, like, a huge animal lover, mm-hmm. so... I saw this moment and, you know, I've had pets all my life and I'm thinking about like, I can relate and I was really young too. So I, when I, I could relate to the fact that, oh my God, I watched this and it was leaving her and I was just leaving the the pet behind and I was like, oh, the heartbreak and all that feeling. And it was, it was intense. Like I, I felt like, I think that was the first time I cried. Because you've kind of felt like you were leaving a pet that you own, like because you got to yeah, like, characters. Yeah, you can relate to it. Yep. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I don't I don't remember when this film came out, like, 93. I think I was, like, 8 or 9 or something like that. So it was, like, you know, a very raw feeling of just, you know, like, a really, like, you know, I don't know. I don't know why, like, people would watch this when they were so young and they put this super sad scene of, like, ripping a pet and their owner apart. Dizzy are cruel bastards, all right? <laughs> There's it, a lot of their animal-oriented films have a scene like that. Uh, the one, of course, that everybody thinks of is the death of Bambi's mother, um, but there's also, like, the death of um, Mustafa mm-hmm. yeah. in, um, in, in Lion King. Even in my other favorite Disney film, uh, the, the Lady and the Tramp, there's yeah. the several points, including the point where you think that uh, Trusty, um, the, the, the big uh, kind of like a bloodhound uh, yeah. That's one of the uh, friends of Lady uh, gets hit by a car and you think he's dead. Yeah, that was also on my list, but I, I I ended up with this one. I think I think this one like I watched Lady and the Tramp later after Fox and the Hound, so um, that that was why. But I mean, uh-huh. all these things are like if not, I would have got with some like smoochy romance, you know. <laughs> so it was. Like... That's cool. Oh, I know. And that that we want to point out here, not death to Smoochie. Yes. (laughs) Go over there. Um, All right, Stephen, what was the first time a movie made you sad? Well, it's very lucky that 
I had a second choice because, yeah, again, Lackey's stolen my thunder by <laughs> mentioning Bambi's mum dying. But actually, I'd actually discounted it. But that was all this week when I've been thinking about it. I was thinking, yeah, my mum took me to see that. But I was born in 1971, and you guys make me feel really bloody old telling me that you were born in 93 and ridiculous things like that. Wait, and, what, I'm, um, saying, I'm, I'm not the oldest person on the podcast. I used yeah. to jam. Uh, well, I, I'm granddad, right? Anyway, um, so when I, I, I remember my mum taking me to see it at a local cinema, and it must I must have been three or four years old. I don't think I really remember it. I just remember that I went to see it, and then later experiences have told me that's sad. So I actually went somewhere else. Now, again, because I'm from the United Kingdom, because I'm from England, um, because I was born in 1971, movies were at a premium until the mid-80s when VHS came in. So we were really constrained to what was shown on the television. And we only had, at that time, three channels. And one of them only played for half a day. And so lots of films got played over and over again. And I don't think you guys, well, Elwood might know this film, and, and you guys might surprise me, but there's a British animation of Richard Adams' Watership Down. Oh, oh God. God. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> There certainly yeah, but, is. Okay, so you, you you guys know. I wondered if it was just a, a British thing, but it used to be on TV <laughs> all the time. And, what? You know, it's an it's an animal animation. It was rated U, which is universal. Wow. Um, and and yeah, it used to be on quite regularly, at least twice a year, probably around Easter time. It's a lovely, beautifully animated film about the life of rabbits, and John Hurt does the voice in it, and Richard Briers, who's like was one of my little comedy heroes growing. And it's awful. It's full of death and destruction. And at the <laughs> yeah. very end, the bit that really makes me cry is when Hazel the rabbit, who's sort of got the surviving rabbits to a new place, is visited by what's effectively the rabbit god and dies just flops down and dies <laughs> and that still even right now is making me very very sad it's one of the saddest things i remember it's an amazing film it's meant to teach children all about death and about 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 life um it, but it does it in a way that disney could only dream of <laughs> jeez i mean that yeah. movie is brutal the violence of that movie is very i'm really surprised that they put this on tv Multiple times out in the UK. I mean, I, oh, it, yeah. it's really it's shown most, eight times once most, here. Oops. One of the most successful British films of all time. <laughs> I mean, so tend to blow our own trumpet. We don't have much to blow about in cinema. Yeah. Well, but, if you're so, going up yeah. in the UK, you're going to watch. Uh, there's there's three things that you probably watch as a child. You're going to watch Warship Down. Um, the other one would be the Ralph Bakshi version of Lord of the Rings. Um, which has got all that rotoscope and weird imagery in it, which just freaks you out. And the one would be Animals of Farthing Wood, which is essentially worshipped down, but, you know, three seasons worth of animals being killed in horrible ways um, as they try to make their way across country to this, this park. Uh, but yeah, the worshipped down in its rivers of blood and rabid animals and a seagull that says, was it piss off or fuck off? Or I remember that always used to be worn out. Zero Mostel. Oh my goodness. Saying that, but yeah, it's it's the tape that would always be the worn out part. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, but that, that, the end is really touching, and but the way that rabbit dies, and in later life, I owned rabbits and blah blah blah, and that's how they go. They just flop over, and um, I thought you were going to say they get visited by the rabbit god. Like you keep seeing this beam of light coming down the gun. It's like, oh no, another one. <laughs> I don't think I can see the rabbit god, but they may have done. It's but, a yeah. trick rabbit, isn't it? 
It's that damn silly church rabbit. He's the rabbit god, isn't he? Is that right? Yeah. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, good choice right there. Uh, I feel I'm gonna feel like a real softy now, telling you my my first time a movie made me sad after talking about Warship Down and talked about death and everything like that. Damn, how do I follow that up there? But I'm gonna do this anyways. Um, my moment comes from a movie directed by Frank Oz. It is the Muppets Tate Manhattan, and it is the moment when they all go their separate ways, and they say goodbye to each other, and they're singing the song. Don't want to leave, but we both know, sometimes it's better to go. Somehow I know we'll meet again. Not sure quite where, and I don't know just when. You're in my heart, so until then, it's time for saying goodbye. Somehow I know we'll meet. Again. Not sure quite where, and I don't know just where. You're in my heart, so until then. Wanna smile, wanna cry, saying goodbye. La 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 la, la. it's time for saying That made me really, really sad because I loved the Muppets. Uh, great Muppet Caper, probably the first Muppet movie I've ever saw. Um, yep. And then I saw the Muppet movie, and then when um, the uh, Muppets Take Manhattan came out, I was all happy. And then that moment comes on, and yeah, that was probably the first time I had tears streaming down my face because I didn't want them to go, right? It's like Kim said earlier. When she talked about the fox and the hound, and you know the, the uh, animals getting separated from each other, it's like, no, I'm damn it, stay together, right? The band should not leave, all right? Yeah, so that was the moment it, that made me sad. It, is it just me, or does it, it? It seem in particular that our generation really kind of relates to those Muppets as if they're really real people. Yeah. Don't spoil it. They are I'm, real people. Don't ruin all the I tell you, um, do you remember the special they did uh, to mark Jim Henson's death with the Muppets learn about his death? Um, I didn't. I had no idea Jim Henson had actually died. That's so why I learned at the same time the Muppets did that he died. So. Oh jeez. Oh, uh, that had um, to be hard. Yeah. But um I tell you what was hard watching um Emmett Otter's Christmas special. Oh yeah. Yeah, Lucky yeah, made we... me cry watching that. What oh, was yeah. Wait, say that again? Uh, Emmett Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. It was a oh, uh Yeah, okay. It, it, yeah, it was for for the people at home listening at home who don't know what this is. It's a uh it was uh based on a Russell Hoban novel. It was a special that uh the 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 Henson company did for TV back in the uh, like the late 70s, mid to late 70s with 
I think songs by Paul Williams or, or something like that. And, um, you know, it was, uh, we did it for our Christmas. I think we did it for our second Christmas yeah, episode. So second one. Um, and it's, uh, it, it is a, uh, it, it doesn't have any of them, the, you know, the Muppets in it, but, uh, it, it, it is just a, a very, uh, it, it's a Christmas special that I think, uh, it's got, it's, it's got a, it's not as well known as like the, the canonical Muppet stuff, but it's got its following and it's, uh, a very emotional kind of thing. Yeah. You just see what Emma and his mother go through to, to have a nice Christmas, yeah. and they just they can never catch a break. They they trade in their worldly possessions for this like one shot of happiness, and it's ah, oh, it's yeah. um, it's heartwarming, but not in the way you would think. It doesn't go the way you think it goes at all. But wow. it's if you like the Muppets, then you should definitely watch it because it's oh it's yeah, really really cool. Okay. Um, but um. It's, yeah, it's, it's one that pushes you for the ringer. And Henson always had that dark side. I mean, you, as we mentioned already, Dark, dark, dark crystal. crystal. The land striders get killed. They look like bunnies, for Christ's sake. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and they get the, the, killed the, by... They get eaten alive by scarab beetle things. It's the, like, oh. the, the, the thing that always got me with the Dark Crystal, and again, even with a movie that I didn't see until I was like 30, but the thing that always got me, because it's uh, probably like a more mature thing that you kind of understand better when you're older is that basically when like the the sketches of like the little creatures they're basically abducting them and just basically basically sucking out their souls um and using it like the for energy and you basically are just left with like these lifeless soulless husks and that's something that i don't think i would have been really all that interested in as a kid but you know seeing it at 30 i'm like oh my god that is like the worst thing ever that is like a living death all right, well, let's, uh, I love to talk more about video nasties, but let's move on to our next topic. But before we do, we're going to take a small little break. We're going to play ads from other great podcast shows that you should, you should definitely listen to. We'll return we'll after the these messages. Hi, I'm Nick from the Nick Events Podcast. I want to let you know about a new podcast I'm launching next month. It's called the St. Paul Filmcast, where each week, me and my co-host Dan will pick one classical film to review. We'll also will be discussing new films, modern films, new releases, and other aspects film-related. You'll find our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. You can already find our podcast on Twitter at St. Paul Filmcast and Instagram. I hope you give us a listen. Thank you very much. Hi, this is Tony, the host of the Flix X Raid podcast. Each week, I am joined by guests. Hey hello. Yo. Why, hello there. Hello. Hey. Hello. Hello. And we have a roundtable discussion where we dig deep and x-ray a bunch of our favorite films and some really terrible ones, too. We really like to go back and take a look at films that may be forgotten, maybe in the past, and still lovable films. If you want, you can follow us on all the major platforms, iTunes, Google, Stitcher. If you want to find out more, you can find us online at www.flixxray.com. And you can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram if you want to reach out to us. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com. Hi, I'm Alan John. 
And when I'm not attending royal weddings, I like to listen to TV Good Sleep Bad on the That Moaning Podcast Network. Welcome back, everybody, to the Cinema Recall Podcast over at ThatMomentIn.com. Uh, very excited to have you back after those ads from other great podcast shows. Uh, they're not paying me to say nice things about them. I actually do generally like their shows. And I urge you all to please check them out. Thank you. So our last category that we are going to be discussing on the show is the first time uh movie turned us on. Alright? Yes. I know. We're going kind of like... We're getting personal here, alright? But I am kind of curious about this because I have a choice here. Um, but uh, let's start back with you again, Elwood. I want to know, the first time you watched a movie where you thought, Oh, oh, yeah, alright, what's going on down there? Alright, yeah, you know, it was something that was very, very sexual and whatnot to you. It's not getting better the way you describe this this section, Ben. <laughs> okay. Um, right. So the first time I felt like you know when you climb the gym ropes, um, um, we would have to obviously talk about the greatest movie of 1999, and that would be Cruel Intentions, and it's Selma Blair and Sarah Michelle Gellar making out in the park. I guess I'm just scared. Of what? Duh, boys. Never even gone to first base with a guy. Haven't you ever practiced on one of your girlfriends? that wasn't so scary. It was nothing. Okay, let's try it again. Only this time, I'm gonna stick my tongue in your mouth. And when I do that, I want you to massage my tongue with yours. And that's what first base is. Okay. Eyes closed. That is, uh, not only is it like the greatest film of 99, I mean, this is a year where we had Boondock Saints, we had Fight Club, we had Being John Malkovich, we had all these like fantastic movies come out. It was sort of like the boom of the indie, American indie uh, circuit. And this little movie comes out, and you have to remember when this film comes out, Sir Michelle Geller is at the height of her popularity. She's doing Buffy, and me and my friends, we all went to see, see it because we all wouldn't like Sir Michelle Geller. And it's all like Summer Show Gala and she's going to say rude words. And this is like the whole concept has gone on. And we went in and the cinema and everyone else, apart from me and my three friends, are all couples. These guys have been dragged there by their girlfriends or wives or whatever, um, expecting to see a chick flick. And uh, yeah, it's yeah. Uh, certainly an interesting chick flick, if you want to call it that. Um, it's uh, Summer Show Gala not only obviously telling us uh, that she knows all the rude words, but, uh, you know, showing us how girls teach themselves about things in a scene that was also nominated Best Kiss at that year's MTV Movie Awards. So it's uh, got the mark of award circuit as well to it as well. But, uh, 
Yeah, the it, it park was, sequence would be the be for myself. Yeah, it was the first time I can remember a movie addressing incest and actually how it be kind of hot. Actually, I know it's odd. Well, but they're not. They're stepbrother and sister, so it's not. It's not incest actual incest, or right? oh, it's stepbrothers, all right. But still, siblings, all right. Uh, the whole bet that she mates with him and everything. And yeah, I, yeah, I just remember that part being kind of like, kind of. Steaming hot too. Mm. Like I would like to have a stepsister. But I would like my stepsister to, sister to be like Sir Michelle Geller. Yeah, that'd be really not hot right there. But well, the thing about the whole sequence though, it's not shot in like a gratuitous way. It's shot no. in a very artistic way. The framing's really nice, and just uh, the intimacy of the shot, and it doesn't feel like oh, we're just gonna cram this in there because you know girls making out. It's you know gonna give us big bucks because I mean. This is ninety nine, so did so Wild like, Things come out then? Was Wild Things out? Wild, well, Wild Kings, Things really Wild wasn't was radar like for most people. Six or ninety seven, I think. Okay, okay, all right. I um, think people weren't getting excited about lipstick lesbians until sort of like the early two thousands of when we all discovered porn. I think that's when lipstick lesbians became popular because obviously we look like American uh, Pie Two and American yeah. Pie Three. <laughs> I I think I think I honestly always felt that kind of like Bound was actually kind of like the the beginning of that trend. Yeah. Okay. Oh. Well. All right. Well. Good choice there with cool intentions. Sarah Michelle Gellar, Selma Blair, um, very talented actresses, very beautiful. Uh, I think Selma Blair is really good. Um. Yeah. I I totally forgot about that moment. All right. Good one. All right, Lackey. Let's go with you, man. What was the um, that? This is uh, I, I I can't really put my finger on a specific thing, other than I think that like the first time I ever was I, I ever found anything sort of interesting in a sexual way, um, any sort of like moving picture entertainment was actually not a film but like a, a feature film but like a music video. I had a. Uh, my my parents were my father was very much someone who like uh, always had to have like the new thing, uh, so we had cable very early on. So I think I remember the first time I really ever found anything sexy was the video for the song "I Know What Boys Like" by the Waitresses. Okay, um, I, I don't know this. I know the song. Uh, but... It's 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 on it's on it's on MTV. Uh, if we're going, I'm uh, not MTV. I, I, know, um, I know the song. It's on it's YouTube. Not the video. Yeah, it's on YouTube. The okay. video is on YouTube. Uh, if we're talking about actual feature films, I guess one of the things that kind of goes along with the rise of, of cable, the importance of, you know, cable and having 50 channels in America uh, is, that you know, one of them, uh, premium channel basically go went at that point, basically went all softcore, basically after about midnight. And that was Cinemax, which is uh, uh, widely kind of known as Skinemax um, uh, to to to. to Americans of a certain generation. So whatever film it was that I like feature film I was that I was first turned on by, I'm I'm pretty sure it was either French or Italian and starred Sylvia Cristel as a Manuel. Okay. You know. <laughs> I, I don't know about that name, yeah. Um I I I I there's just all these sort of, the sort of movies where even um, it might not even have started as Sylvia Cristel, but there was this kind of like trend in the seventies of basically making these softcore movies and um, just attaching that because uh, you know there was one exploitation film based on the the, the memoirs of a French woman named Emmanuel Arson. Um, all of these unrelated films 
uh, when they were released over in America had the word, had the name Emmanuel plopped on them, even if it had no real connection to anything. And you'd have things like Black Emmanuel and Emmanuel in the the, the House of the Dead and stuff like that. I remember that. Emmanuel in Space. Chris Emmanuel in Space, yeah, that was, uh, that was the ninth, I think. Um, yeah, Krista Allen. Uh, that was one of those things. Uh, and again, I think that was a Showtime thing. Showtime went into the business of uh, yeah, doing all these things with the success. After the success of the Red Shoe Diaries, yep. there were all these popcorn shows like uh, Arab, uh, Erotic Confessions, Intimate Confessions, or something like that, and um, all these shows. So, yeah, it was it was almost certainly Italian and dubbed very badly and made in the mid-70s, whatever it was. Um, the only film I can actually think of, the only actually clear memory, is I have this one scene in my head, and I don't remember what film it was, but it was very badly dubbed, and there was a guy um, playing a guitar and butchering the lyrics to Pink Floyd's Time. Um, so uh, that's not a very good answer, but I'm sticking with it. And hopefully, okay. <laughs> and hopefully I haven't stepped on Stephen's toes, so... Do you know what? For the first time, you're in the clear, mate. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. All right, good choice there. All right, uh, talked about Mandy uh, Well and the uh, waitress video right there. All right, Tim, let's put you on the spot. Let's make you embarrassed. What was the first time movie you know, turned you on? I don't think I'd be embarrassed particularly. Okay. Um, mostly because I. I have a lot of sexy scenes that I like right now because oh, I yes. have this whole obsession over like um, the movies that tread between love and lust. I went on this huge rant with Elwood one time on our production meeting, so <laughs> you can see our tangents. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, the the sexiest scene I uh, have really is um, the first one I remember is in Titanic. Um, sounds like a really corny choice right now as I'm saying it. Uh, but <laughs> no, it's a steam uh, one. Yeah, so it's um, it was like the the sex scene in the car, um, where you don't really see much going on, but then you see like the cars steam up, and then you know the the handprints and stuff like that. Um, I, I wasn't it was in '96, so I was uh, kind of young, <laughs> but but I gotta say that after I saw this film three times in the theaters, it was uh, not sexy anymore by the second and third time. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that scene. I mean, it's a very erotically charged scene, and I think yeah. when Kate Winslet's being uh, drawn by James Cameron, um, that's normally the best place to start the film and just go from there. Yeah, well, I, I have to say why it's also sexy is it's kind of like the starting point of when I am Kate Winslet, and I I think she is super elegant and super amazing as an actress. So uh, I, I don't know. And plus, I like I, I like Leonardo DiCaprio back then. He was super cute. And right now he's, I don't know, he's handsome, I guess. <laughs> so, so like Elwood, my, yeah. my question for you is, should she watch Dark Season? Oh. <laughs> Do I remember what remember. Dark Season is now? Uh, oh, Dark yes. Season, remember? Yes. Um, yes. Uh, Dark Season is a kid's show, and I use that term rather loosely because it's like saying it's a kid's show is the same way that saying Worship Down's family viewing. Um it was created by Russell T. Davis, and it's um, noteworthy for being one of Kate Winslet's first TV, well, first roles, really, uh, where she plays like a, I don't know, a, a kind of chavvy, punky um, problem child. And um, yeah, 
it, it it's one noteworthy as well for being like one of the few films that she doesn't get naked in. I mean, I saw Titanic, and then it seemed like every movie I saw after that, she always seemed to be nude. It's like Heavenly Creatures, uh, which would be another good one for this list. I would say that's um, kind of erotically charged in places. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good point. Um, there. No. But um, yeah, I I totally agree with him. There's nothing. It's a really good scene, but I think it's it's good because it's got a decent director behind it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, But yeah, I always love the fact that James Cameron's the guy drawing her. It's not Leonardo DiCaprio's hand, it's James Cameron's hand drawing her. It says too, hey, I'm the director, if anyone's going to see Kate Winslet naked, it's me. It's me. James Cameron. Draw me like, draw me like one of your Skynet girls. That, <laughs> that's, my, that's my James Cameron impersonation right there. Yeah! Me! James Cameron! I just imagine you talking about that. I don't know. Um, let's move to you. You're playing the theme tune. <laughs> yes, James, we're playing the theme tune. James Cameron's going down to raise the bar. That's right. <laughs> South Park reference. I love it. Um, all right, Stephen. Let's continue this trend with you, great buddy. Okay. All right. So I think um, I think we've already set the context of... I probably wasn't exposed to very much in my formative years until the age of the video came. And we would rent videos that were clearly not designed for people my age. So I'm looking at a film that was released, I think, in the UK in 82. So probably didn't get onto film until VHS in the UK to 83 at the earliest. Um, we used to get an older friend's brother or sister to rent us these videos and we used to watch them in all night sessions in this video player around a 12 inch CRT TV and the one that I remember is Porky's okay oh, oh, <laughs> yeah alright fair enough yeah, yeah. Okay, and we watched that film till we must have made all the metallic stuff fall off the tape we'd rent it every week we love that bloody film I watched it again about a month ago because I was on a bit of a kick of my youth, and it's shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's about as sexy as having piles, and it's got, <laughs> got a really, really weird subplot about anti-Semitism whilst ignoring the, the other racism going. And there's just so much wrong with it. I'm sure the VHS I had was put together in a different order. Anyway, what I'm not going to mention is the shower scene, which would have been the very, very first time I ever saw a lady's um, I'm going to be uh, Kim Close Your Ears, her, her vagina. Um, but what I'm actually going to go for is Kim Cattrall, who I had a huge crush on at oh, the time. yeah. With, it, with this sort of braless gym teacher thing going on, uh, what's the name of the film? Lassie or something? Lassie, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, that, well, that wasn't that that I found arousing, but just her. She was the sexiest American I could imagine for at least oh, six months of my life. Oh boy! Oh boy! Oh, the boys' locker room. Oh, it's turned me on. Why don't you give me a hand here? I mean, it, it always turned me on. I'm 
Who cares? <laughs> I thought she, she was. Dead. I believe she is not American. I, I believe she's, she's actually she's Canadian. Canadian film, wasn't it? But you got to remember, yeah. in the UK in 1983, it was all America, mate. <laughs> um, the funniest thing I, I still to this day find about Porky is that it was directed by Bob Clark, who went on to direct a Christmas Story. Really? That was Bob yeah. Clark? Did he Porky's? Bob Clark. Oh shit, you're yes. right. Okay, yeah, you're right. Okay. Damn. And, and whose first film, and whose first film is Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things. It's true. Yeah, that's true. I was did Black Christmas, and oh, yeah, yeah, I did Ranger movies. Ah, it, it, I have it, to, uh, I mean, I do have to ask as well, did then, I mean, obviously in the UK, before we had, when videos came, they had an intro warning which said about what classifications were, and Simon Bates said that you know this film was rated 15, which means it may contain some sexy scenes. And I wondered, did the Americans have a version of that where they like said, "Oh, this film is rated R. This means that no one should watch this film." Well, whatever you know, we, we didn't get that till later. I don't. I don't remember ever having that at all. The only thing I remember having at the beginning of our videos was a. Uh, uh, a message from the FBI saying don't copy don't, this, yeah. and then a message yeah. from Interpol saying no, really don't copy this. Okay. Yeah, I just remember when you were in school and they used to like they used to have that intro bumper playing, everyone used to cheer at the mention of sexy scenes or foul language. Yeah, well, I, I remember that. Like we watch movies on TV, they would have that. Like, this film contains coarse language and partial nudity, so they did that on cable sometimes before yeah. we played. And, or there was like partial nudity, and we're like, all right, sweet side boob, or this is like full frontal nudity, and we're like, all right, boobies. And so, yeah, we were <laughs> graphic, graphic nudity. Yes. And before I actually saw that in a film, I had kind of imagined that looking at all the description, graphic nudity in TV Guide, that it's, you know, it, it, it went all pixelated at the point. Uh, the screen went all pixelated, like computer graphics. I have to, um, but now, like, you look at the warnings now for films, and it's like mild perils, a badger gets poked with a spoon, uh, <laughs> one blow torches a swan or something. And it's like, you go in and you, you pretty much know what's going to happen because they pre-warned it because there's some sensitive soul that is, like, going to get upset because a child's in mild peril, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, fantasy peril, um, smoking. Uh, they now, yes. with MPAA now yeah. mentions whenever the film has uh, anybody smoking a cigarette. Peril danger. No. Yes. Mm. Uh, Do they have that up in Canada, Kim? Because I know they're a bit crazy up there. So they're you you like you know living this normal stretch of, the, of humanity where you're not like oh. Uh... I don't know if you're talking about TV. I don't watch that much TV, but you have like you have the basics. I mean, you have like um. You have, like, oh, coarse language and, like, general stuff, you know, like, very normal. Don't go too crazy. But, I mean, I watch, like, public television, so I don't really have cable. I haven't had cable at all ever in my life. Um, yeah, so it's, like, really mild things. Like, I don't know. Now it's, like, when you watch Gotham, it'll be like, oh, this is suitable for a mature audience. Da-da-da-da-da-da. Mm. You know, and it goes on. Yeah. I have to really, like, 
question because everyone's so nice in Canada. I mean, they're always there to offer you like a donut or a smoke or something. You think I mean, that? Fifty dollars. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and yet, and yet, who comes from Canada? David Cronenberg. <laughs> I'm sure he's a, he seems like a nice guy. He just makes really fucked up movies here and there, but he seems like a nice guy. Oh. Yeah. David Cronenberg once said, "I don't have a moral plan. I'm a Canadian." <laughs> because Canadians are better than us, all right? So they don't need to have morals. You've got a d- zombie defense plan, for Christ's sake, in Canada. <laughs> See, exactly. Uh, this is the country that gave us Psycho Pike, the greatest Canucksploitation movie ever. Psycho Pike. Awesome. I, I, I do want to know what, uh, the, what, what the contingency plan is for dealing with, with zombies, though. Do you just you know, try to like lead them all into Alberta and then <laughs> surround them? No, <laughs> they're just gonna blast him with the mighty rock power rush. That's gonna repel. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's just right. like Tom Sawyer. They're gonna let some big speakers and then just blast Tom Sawyer, and it's like the zombies are just be like pushed back onto Trump's lawn. That means then, I, had no, I had no idea there was Anglo-Canadian tensions. <laughs> Which was surprising me of all the countries to pick on. <laughs> I love Canada. I love Canada. Yeah, we'll see. Next step. Next step, let's bomb Switzerland. No, Canada's got uh, the plan to stop the zombies. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I escaped Vern, America. I, want also, I also want to point out, Vern and I, Vern and I are Miss Wetwin Westerners, which means we're practically Canadian. That's true. Yes. Uh, we're, I just, is, that, is, that, is that your contingency plan? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do not, yeah. So Canada does attack us. We're on your side, Canada. Okay. Yeah. The Midwest survived grunge, so they can survive anything. Exactly, all right. So, like, God, you know, yes. we're prepared. We, you know, you can't beat no, us we, down. Yeah, anymore. you can't. We, we're not afraid of zombies. We live through Candlebox. That's <laughs> God damn it. This uh, is I remember seeing, like, the dwarfs, and the least thing kick someone in the head. And uh, I think it's Oliver uh, Nicholas Olivier, the guy who was in uh, Queen's of Stone Age. He's like, Oh, if you don't want to be, uh, don't want to be fucked, don't act like a pussy. And I'm like, fucking hell, what the hell's going on in the Midwest? Jesus Christ. Yeah, we also have the Jin Blossoms, too. We survived that. Um, and we survived Creed. All right. Uh, I lost track here. All right. Talk about my moment that turned me on. And so it's another theater story. And my, it was about the, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't remember exactly what uh, month it came out in, but I know the year. It came out in 1986. My dad took me to a theater to watch a movie that starred Jeff Goldblum and Ed Bailey Jr. Two actors. I would have, I would have no idea who they are until later on. Mm. But it was a movie called film. Transylvania Since 5000, and the movie is about these two reporters who go to this house to investigate strange paranormal things that are going on. Um, it is a comedy, but the moment that really just got me a little excited there was the introduction to Gina Davis' Gina Davis's character. And she plays this really seductive vampire, but she's wearing this outfit that just insinuates all the curves and parts of her body that was I, I was I must have been about not even ten at the time. I had to been about seven years old. Yeah, eight yeah, eight years old when I saw that movie. 
and I was just really, just yeah. I was like, whoa, well, you know, I, I mean, I it was it was between that one and also seeing the Maniac video from the movie Flashdance, that Michael Cimbaro video with Jennifer Beals doing her workout routine. Yeah, uh, those two moments, uh, I think I went through puberty during that time. Is seeing that Flashdance video and watching the Transylvania 65000 video. And mm. So you basically started developing during Flashback Flashdance, and then by the time Gina Davis shows up in Transylvania 65000 in her Vampirilla costume, yeah, Vampirilla. you were a man. Yeah, yeah, you were a man. You had you had developed facial hair by the end of the day. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, nothing worse than watching a film with your parents and a sex scene comes on. And I don't think kids are gonna ever. They don't have that experience now because oh. they don't have sex scenes in movies. And um, you used to always have like they always used to be the same, you know, dark lighting and saxophone music. I mean, when they stopped putting saxophone sex scenes in movies, I mean. The legion of saxophone players that were suddenly out to work. I mean, that must have been such a great day for those people. Really, yeah. God, well, my I mean, they... my grandma took my sister to see Basic Instinct when she was uh, only about I think thirteen at the time because she thought it was going to be this really cool mystery, and she had no idea. <laughs> about all the graphic nudity and sets going on and that. Um, but they stayed to watch the whole thing. Which yeah. is... The scariest thing about Basic Instinct is Michael Douglas's pillover he wears to a nightclub. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like a what-were-they-thinking moment. Uh, I know Lena Dunham killed a key moment in that scene in uh, in one of those things. It was like the fourth season of Girls where she decided to show everyone a growler. Uh, and, I'm sorry, and, you know, that's we, and that's why we don't watch girls. <laughs> I rewatched. I mean, that's the thing. I rewatched the whole five seasons, and it, by the end, you just. I don't know if I hated the characters or myself more for watching that. <laughs> but there's just so many, so much good pop culture you could never enjoy again, thanks to Lena Dunham. Yeah, and I was wrong there too. It is about two reporters right there. They actually do go to this castle, but they go there to find Frankenstein's monster. Um, and so you do have like, a mummy character, and Gina Davis plays like the sexy vampire. But it's got Carol, it's got Carol Kane in there as well. Um, it's got yep. uh, Gina. I haven't seen the movie in ages, but I just remember that sequence of her in the outfit, and it was quite, mm-hmm. quite good. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I was surprised of how much Rocky Horror Picture Show went over my head the first time I watched it. <laughs> yeah. No. It, I, yeah. <laughs> that whole pool sequence that completely went over my head the first time I watched it. It was like watching it as an adult. It's like whoa, this is a bit risque. Yes. Uh, well, I mean, guys, what's that one movie too? Um, just why is it blatant on me now? Lorden's Run. I mean, there's a lot of like hardcore nudity going oh, on there. Oh, Jenny Atkins. Oh yeah, Jenny a gutter. <laughs> oh oh man. yeah, yeah. And that's a so piece of things... that... That, that was, was going to be one of my choices. That's a film that was shown a lot in the UK because of Jenny Agatha. And yeah, her swimming yeah. naked pool, come on. Yeah. No, that's Walkabout, where she's naked. Oh, in the no, no, pool. Yeah, no. Yeah, Walkabout, Nick Rogue. Nick Rogue. Walkabout, they showed Walkabout in my high school. Yeah, they do. They always forget about the nude scene in uh, in Walkabout. 
I'm sure Kim's gonna have to like make a sandwich or something while this is going on. Cause <laughs> <laughs> I'm just cool. like, I'm just listening to all this and I'm like, what is going on? I haven't heard any of this, no. and I was like, <laughs> Jenny Agatha was was the UK's go-to girl for not minding getting her boobs out in the 70s and 80s, but she actually made her start in a film which all children had to watch. She was in um, she was in the the film version of the Railway Children, and she'd always be famous for waving her frilly 1920s knickers at a train to slow it down. <laughs> um, yeah, but she the thing with Jane Arthur, she looks like a good girl who wouldn't get naked. That was always the surprising thing. So it, her nudity always came out of nowhere. It was sort of like it was sort of like um, odd. I know there's a reference in Howard and Kumar, and it's like um, oh, it's Katie Holmes. And they say, oh, she's a good girl, and we're going to see her boobs. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what it felt like with Jenny yeah. Agatha. She was like the precursor yeah. to... Does she, uh, does she get her boobs out in American Werewolf in London, or is that just wishful thinking in my part? No, I'm pretty sure she gets them out in American Werewolf. Yeah, I think so, too. I think that's that's from oh. her contract right there, I think. She always saw so nudity and something. I think. And, and, to, and just to think, today she's on Call the Midwife, where she plays a nun. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, he paid for Lackey's TV watching. The fact that he's watching Call the Midwife is just mind blowing. Okay. <laughs> this is the fact: us Brits, we're tied into paying for t- TV and radio. We don't watch or listen to, but Lackey does. Yeah, see, I know. So... <laughs> and and I uh, and I honestly, Elwood, Stephen, I appreciate your sacrifice more than you know. <laughs> it's like it's why I don't give to charity. It's like I'm already funding one American. <laughs> I don't need to fund a child in Africa as well. Is that what he is? Is he adopted? Is Daniel Lackey, the your letter one. America's only Doctor Who fan. Yeah. <laughs> you that, kept our show going for a long time, or right? no one else here in Britain, yeah. only just Lackey. Uh, well, guys, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure only kept making it from 80 to 87 just to keep me happy <laughs> good <laughs> uh, well I gotta say thank you everybody that was a really fun conversation that we had about the first time of movies with us um, now it comes the time of the show where each of you get to plug each of your own projects here let's start with you Elwood since you host all the other shows on that moment in network, you're the host of Game Warp, TV Goes Sleep Bad, Asian Cinema Film Club. Um, you are found on Twitter at Elwood underscore underscore Jones. The E is capitalized in Elwood. The J is capitalized in Jones. Um, yeah. Also, I totally forgot my other podcast that's not on the network, but hopefully it should be uh, the Movies and Tea that she also hosts with Kim. Yes. Um, I mean, yeah, I co-host. Uh, I co-host all those shows. I mean, Movies and Tea isn't isn't on uh, thatmoney.com. I think mainly because we don't have five shows and I host four of them. Uh, um, <laughs> questions may be asked about that, and it also makes promoting anything a bit of a pain. Um, but yeah, I uh, I I'm associated with all those uh, great shows, which you can find. Uh, on thatmoment.com, which is available on both Podomatic and Spotify, if you uh, just search for thatmoment.com, and I'll let the guys uh, do the promotion for the for the shows themselves. Um, okay. So, but no, it's I, I needless to say, I get to work with with some fantastic people, and I'm just fortunate that I've somehow managed to be in the position where all my 
weird obsessions I now seem to be involved in a podcast about. And uh, it's just an added bonus. I just get to work with such such fantastic people who humor and go along with these obsessions and in some ways in in many ways often encourage them so thank you guys for being part of it and uh i hope that we can continue to uh to build our network and uh add to what we've done already so thank you all i love and it the first time i cried on a podcast <laughs> 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 i was going Aw, that's so oh, sweet. Yeah. Right. Now get back to work. Go, <laughs> back to, go podcast. <laughs> oh, all right. All right, Lackey. It's like a... Uh, um, so, uh... Well, for, uh well, first has of all, left well, upon me first to plug TV Can Sleep Bad, um, which is a, a, a podcast whose name I regularly get right, unlike my co-host. Um, and um, I'm on that... And um, I'm sure that can be found on Twitter and on Spotify and iTunes and probably somewhere on the dark web. And then I have my own website, which is called Lackey Writes About Film, where I sporadically write about film. And that's lackeyonfilm.com. And when I'm not doing those things, I can usually be found under a desk whimpering. <laughs> well, yeah, your, your Twitter handle for the show is TV Good Sleep Bad for the TV Good Sleep Bad podcast, um, and then right. is it you now yeah. Lackey rates film? Is just Lackey rates film? Lackey Lackey on film. Oh, Lackey, Lackey on film. Sorry, Lackey on Lackey on film dot com and Lackey on film is the Twitter handle. That Lackey on film. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. All right. Uh, anything new going on with Lackey on film at all? Or no, no, I haven't written about film in a while. Gotcha. Okay. Um, <laughs> things have just been kind of hectic, and I don't know whiff or whiff. I don't know if or when I'm going to get back to it, um, but you know it's, it's it's there, and there's a uh, there's a nice archive of uh, you know horror, dark comedy, noir, science fiction, fantasy, and just other weird stuff that runs across my field of vision. Right. Well, so yeah. uh, you know, even if I'm not actively updating it, you can always get my Deathlet slots on the uh, um, remake of Old Boy. All right. Well, tell me what, what's going on with the uh, TV Good Sleep Bad. What new episodes you guys have coming out? Anything you want to promote? Um, we just covered. Uh, was it IT Crowd and Snuffbox? Yeah. Um, yeah, we had a, a double a double shot of Matt Barry and yeah. um, that kind I mean, of uh, you know the whole uh, kind of like Bush Mighty Bush offshoot. Um, oh yeah. Snuffbox, I've I've actually had several people like say that after they heard the show they went out and checked out Snuffbox, which is really surprising seeing as the scene that Lackey chooses to reenact from that particular episode. <laughs> um, makes me surprised we still have a show on the network after that, but uh, yeah, yes. it's I think, because whenever I view my shows mentally and stuff, they all have like different locations they're set and after we watch Snuffbox, um, TV Go Sleep Bad will always be in the setting of a hangman's gentleman's club. Uh, that's that's where that now takes place. If I think about Agents of a Film Club, it's the noodle bar from Blade Runner. If I think about like Movies and Tea, it's a diner. And Game Warp is just like it's, up. it's like Doom. It's the Tower of Evil where we keep our stunt gamer locked in the basement, forcing him to play Grand Turismo while forced to read it in Creme Brulee. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of like The Wire and the way I've the, okay. all the shows they're just like all part of the same universe gotcha gotcha um, our, next, oh. our next episode is going to have um 
It's it's going to have the uh, legendary uh, '90s fake news show Snuffbox. And what's what's the other show we're doing? No, we're doing Brass Iron. Brass Iron. Brass Iron. What's the other one? Fresh Me, which is um, another British comedy series. So we're doing um, the, the next episode we're looking at Brass Eye um, in particular episode on drugs uh, and we're going to be looking at the British Asian comedy series Goodness Gracious Me which features a skit called The Million Rupee Man um, which yeah, I think is going to be an interesting one to, to watch there's definitely uh, definitely some interesting points in that. Now it's the one that Lackey had never heard of before, which makes it all the more interesting when we introduce each other to someone that we've never heard of. It's always quite exciting when that happens. Never heard of any of the shows. Cake, Lackey. Watch out for cake. That's all I can say. Watch out for cake. Okay. <laughs> all right. Oh, I know. <laughs> <what you're doing. laughs> all right. Moving out here. Uh, like cake. <laughs> I have prepped for the occasion. By watching the going out for an English sketch. Okay. I, I, all right, I'm... <laughs> oh, what's the blandest thing on the menu? <laughs> yeah. I was saying to you this episode <clears throat> now, so. 27 plates of chips. Oh. All right. I've been saying to you this episode, so I know exactly the jokes you're talking about because I have no idea. Uh, but let's move on to you, Kim, uh, one of the co hosts of Game War Podcast. Their Twitter account is at Game Warp Podcast. Jim's Twitter account is at Tranquil Dreams. Tell us, Jim, anything new going Tranquil on? Tranquil Dreams underscore. My underscore. I'm sorry. At Tranquil Dreams underscore. Thank you for stopping me there. I apologize. I did not see the underscore there. Okay. No, at Tranquil no. Dreams. <laughs> I know. It was a regret on my level after that when I did it. <laughs> underscore. Um, yeah. So, uh, so, yeah, I run Game Warp Podcast with Elwood. Um you can find it like we just do a lot of uh, interviews and game reviews and um, if you go to our youtube channel um via our twitter since we don't have enough subscribers to <laughs> uh to have our own name right now uh it would be the easiest way we do like some let's plays and as elwood says uh, our stunt gamer who is locked in our dungeon uh runs a racing game series uh of gran turismo and Assetto corsa and project cars 2 is coming up um as for myself, I write uh, a very versatile blog. It's kind of a reviews and lifestyle blog um, called Tranquil Dreams. So it's uh, kllingwordpress.com. Uh, should really get a domain. Uh, yeah, and then I have a photography blog, which is avenueofdaydreams.wordpress.com as well. Uh, you know, I, I'm involved. I, I work with Elwood, so he motivates me to be super busy all the time. As we say, we are allergic to free time. Yeah, I mean, Kim is Kim is like really the backbone of, of the whole operation because I'm like a lazy workaholic. My desk is like Nedry's desk, as I posted on Facebook earlier. It's just a, a mess, and she keeps us organized, especially when we get into E3 week, um, oh, yeah. where you tend to lose your mind around day four and. Um, that's why I find she's so like Kim's like very sort of motivated and uh, it's a good person to to have to like people. That's why it's it's why it's easy to like have like two hours of free time a week. So yeah, hence why he was able to like he he was like okay fine we'll do a movies podcast because you know Kim misses it a lot. <laughs> so we have movies and tea. 
which is, uh, yeah, you can find that at Movies and Tea Podcast, or is it at Movies and Tea? I can't remember anymore. I think it's Movies and Tea Pod. Movies and Tea Pod. Uh, Movies and Tea Pod. Yeah. Uh, and it's cool too because on that series you cover a director. So right now you're covering Paul W.S. Paul W.S. Anderson yes. on that one, correct? Yes. Yeah. So we just did the show for um, Soldier uh, with Kurt Russell. That and, was Paul W.S. Uh, Anderson. Yes. Holy yep. shit! That's awesome. But he's still at this point. He's still just listed as Paul Anderson. Yep. Paul Anderson. Okay. Sorry. Oh. Yeah, and then the next one we're tackling is uh, is a really big one. So we're doing um, the whole Resident Evil franchise. Uh, you know, the two and three wasn't directed by him, but we're we're, we're still pulling it in because we just want to have a full view of it, uh, of the whole whole uh, you know cinematic franchise experience, I guess if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I love it. Okay, so who will be the next director you tackle after this guy? Del Toro. Oh, nice. Provisionally, it's it's Guillermo del Toro. Originally, when we started this, we had a completely different director in mind, and then Kim was like, um, Kim got, for some reason, we got on the subject of Event Horizon, and then we both, like, realized we really like Event Horizon, wanted to talk about that, so Paul W.S. Anderson became our director of choice the first season. Yeah, and... Yeah, we had another Anderson in our mind, so that was how it started. (laughs) I think it changed. Well, as I've talked to lackey about before and uh, in our TV goes sleep bad and it's like uh, Anderson much like Wachowski's his work is really good to reevaluate and when you certainly pick up on his director trademarks and stuff um, it's really there's some really interesting ideas there I mean even if the actual plotting and that may be a little subpar for some taste uh, there's definitely some interesting and certainly visually there's some interesting ideas there which are really fun when you go in with the mind of reevaluating and and focusing on um, sort of like the deeper than sort of the surface level of his films, so there's some really interesting stuff there, which has been the surprising part of the project. But uh, um, provision at the moment, it's going to be uh, Del Toro will be our, our next one, I believe. Kim, is that right? Okay. Yes, that 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 is that is what we're as long as I can find his earlier films, which I've already started hunting for. So, so I, I love the fact, yeah, we're going to talk about Guillermo Del Toro. For the next episode of Movies and Tea. Very excited to hear about that series. Um, now, Stephen, you are following on Twitter at LPVO. Yeah, host... another one full of regret, but that's where it is. <laughs> are you a Mexican <laughs> bandit? Yeah, it, was, it was some it's something of an obscure moment that happened in my life about 20 years ago that I just thought, oh, Twitter, I'll have a go at this. Oh, LPVO and now I'm stuck with it. I, I I daily think of changing it, but hey ho. Right, and you host you part of the Asian Cinema Film Club, which is found on Twitter at AC Film Club. Um, it is tell indeed. Us, tell us, sir, any uh, thing you want to plug? Any new episodes of the Asian Cinema Film Club coming up, or anything that is on your blog that you want to cover? Yeah. Okay. So um, so Elwood and I, I've been doing this for over a year now, which. He'd tell me off for saying it's really surprising because I am. If he thinks he's lazy, I'm even lazier than him. Um, I think it's more just the fact every blog post opens with, Can you believe it? It was on episode 13. It's like, Were you expecting the 
wheels to fall off on the last one. <laughs> I do. Every, every time it's the same. But yes, um, what usually happens on that is that uh, Elwood and I alternate choices every month. Elwood tends to choose something that's either a classic or a cult film, and then I try and convince him the following month something which is a little more highbrow um, and sometimes that works sometimes it doesn't um so we um what say our last episode we recorded which i assume will be up fairly soon was um makato shinkai's the place promised in our early days and he's the director of your name and i wanted to introduce elwood some of his earlier work but coming up next um elwood's going to fill in my uh one of my blind spots nation cinema is john woo um Never really dug any of his stuff, but I think we're going to watch The Killer, aren't we, Elwood? Yeah, it's already become a, a, a rather tense conversation where my car boiled. So uh, <laughs> there's going to be some uh, some comments made about, about that. But no, we're watching the, uh, the Killer, which is really one of the essential Hong Kong action movies from John Woo. It's part of that unofficial trilogy, which is like uh, Better Tomorrow, and then The Killer, and then obviously hardboiled um and also a trilogy of john we're working with uh, his sort of, of muse in many ways um cherry on fat um it the, these are the sort of films that brought them to the attention of like western audiences and uh the killer i think would be the one that would like influence like people like rodriguez and tarantino and um and johnny toe so i'm looking forward to it nice yeah i'm looking forward to it too um outside of that i guess i am the asian film guy because i'm on my own blog which is guelloramblings.wordpress.com um which i've been really bad at updating until today um and actually over this week i've set some reviews up to go so um i'm going to try and get back on top of that with slightly shorter reviews than i used to do but i've got to put a review up today on sion sono's whispering star which was again highbrow film <laughs> um, and I also write for easternkicks.com um, which is a UK based Asian film interview article news all about Asian cinema website which there I don't just do reviews I also get I'm very lucky and I get to interview various Asian directors and actors and actresses on occasion um, so I get to stretch different parts of my uh, my creative juices all right. Well, very cool. Um, all right. Well, I think we got everyone's plugs out of the way. But that is going to wrap up this epic episode of the Cinema Recall Podcast. Again, big thanks to everyone here on the show. Big thanks again to Elwood Jones, Daniel Lackey, uh, Kim Blow, Yo. and Stephen Palmer. Thank you very much, everyone, for being out here with me. Really appreciate it. Uh, Cinema Recall, we are found at cinema underscore recall you can find us on facebook just type in cinema recall you can email us your suggestions um at cinema recall at gmail.com anyways folks i want to say big thank you again and we'll talk to you later right